welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about a lot of deaths for NPCs and maybe heroes too. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. And this week on Forever Canon, we are going to cover chapters 9 through 12 of Tim is Nodding Me On, New Jedi Order, Book 1, Vector Prime, written by R.A. Salvatore. I refuse to put any vowel accent on the end of his name now. Okay. And this week, we get some chapters where the family gets together. I didn't even know. Okay, you know how like I write initials in the margin? First of all, I write initials in the margin so I can go back quickly and check the notes for the book overview where we talk about characters specifically. Yeah. But now, with Jason and Jaina and Anakin together, I'm writing my initials over and over in yes, you are. <laughs> the margin of my pages. It's been very strange. Also, I wrote SW because there was a scene, there's a whole chapter with the entire family, the whole solo Walker family. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is a new thing, and I'm never going to know how to read these notes. But you know what happens this week? <laughs> we get everybody together, and some places things go boom. But first, bum, bum, bum. Previously, on Forever Canon, the Yuzhan Vong gently splat their world ship into Helska 4. Mara protects her uterus. Jason and Anakin exchange philosophies over laser swords. A bone-smashing impact, and missiles are launched. Luke tells Jason pride. 3PO says Lady Vader. And Han and Chewie go clubbing. <laughs> yep. That was last week, right? Mm-hmm. Chapters where actually, you know, I'm being reductive, obviously, in all these silly pretend newscaster uh, recaps, but Han and Chewbacca, they run a pretty cool gambit <laughs> at this bar on some smuggler dude where they're like, we have better better smuggler status than you. We're going to bully you into telling us information. Yep. But what Lando's up to, and that leads us into this week, chapter nine, the honor of dying. Uh-oh. Sounds like someone's gonna get got, Tim. Yeah, yeah, it's not a good title name for somebody. That's, you know what it is? Very promising for the villains of our series currently. And here we are with the science team from XGAL 4 heading into the jungle to study that incoming storm that we recapped last week. We didn't recap it, we pre capped it. This week, we're gonna probably recap it. But they're heading out to find out what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. They're a very nervous group, as they should be. Yeah. And on their second night, the trees start releasing some toxic fumes. Unheard of. How are they doing this, right? That's Beetlejuices. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's Beetlejuices. Stop. Yeah. Don't, Don't say, say it. it a third time. Yeah. <laughs> That's not on the page, but... <laughs> Aha, seriously, you know, Yeoman Carr came to this planet as a pretend scientist. He released a bunch of beetles that have now turned trees into a toxic storm of gases that are uh, absolutely unlivable. Yeah. What? Yeah, they wake up and or they go to wake up in the morning and one of them's like choking to death or something. It's bad news. And uh, there's no escaping it. And only so many oxygen tanks to go around. So after some shoosting and self-sacrificing... A scientist named Jerem, just so close to being Jeremy, mm-hmm. 
science fiction name. Jerem is, quote, the only hope, that was written, of getting back to the station. That's no storm. It's a noxious poison cloud of beetle work. <laughs> you know, they were looking at it from above on their exit path on the uh, the ship that took off with Danny Quee and her, I don't know, whatever name it, scientists. And they're like, look at that big storm. It's not a storm. No. It's trees exploding poison because of beetles. Yeah, it's like a cloud of sulfuric gas. Invasive species, huh? Be bad like that. Yeah. We cut to Danny Quee and her two science pals. Previously mentioned a moment ago, they reach Helska 4, where they've got no clue what's happening. This thing should be atoms of ice. Yeah, tiny chunks <laughs> should, of a planet. This should be shaken, not stirred. <laughs> that I think is actually correct. Because you put ice chunks in a martini shaker when you shake it, right? Mm-hmm. But when you stir it, there's no ice chunks involved. Come on, Justin. <laughs> Nailed the joke I didn't even know. Anyways, they're here at Hell's Cafour and they're like, I don't know what's happening. We're scientists, but we have no idea. So we're going to call for backup. They follow a swarm of hundreds of meteors. They spot a half-frozen mound on the surface, which is giving off energy readings. But wait, why are those meteors moving towards us suddenly in a classic attack formation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like they're coming at him in like the flying V or something. That's no meteor. One drew very close. And the three looked on in surprise and fear as a small appendage sticking out its front like a miniature volcano erupted, spewing forth a burst of fire and a single glob of molten rock that hit the space caster, jolting them hard. Here are living ships with strange weapons. Yep. Oh, my. They spit lava. They even shoot a villop through the windshield of the spaceship. We've seen a villop before. It's an eyeball-looking squishy mound that that inverts itself to become an entire face that speaks words at you. Mm-hmm. So they shoot one through the windshield, and they're like, hey, Prefect Agara welcomes them. All by name. Yeah. To his home. Quote. Question from Danny Quee. Where are you from? Quote answer. From Prefect Agara. Place you know no. <laughs> Question from Danny Quee. Why are you here? Quote answer from Prefect Agara. Ha 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 Run for your science lives, yeah. you people are screwed. Yeah, you, when the, when something laughs at you when you ask it a question, <laughs> that's hey, not what good. are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's oh, never that's a good bad. sign. And they start trying to run away, but they can't. The coral skippers disable the ship, and it plummets down to the surface. Okay, so, new tech. Mm-hmm. Coral skippers, huh? We heard about them in the previous episode. They were floating some sort of celestial sail on the back of a world ship. But now these coral skippers are here shooting hot lava and sticky villop faces through a windshield. Are these like the fighters of the Yuzhan Vong? Like, like the X-Wings? 
or it at least seems the bigger like that would be the equivalent, right? They they describe it as a swarm of ships flying in a V shaped pattern. They're like, here they come in classic attack pattern. Ah, yeah. So it's they describe be the... them flying like fighter ships. So I guess that's what we're meant to figure out from this. But they seem kind of inconspicuous, right? They look like little meteors. Yep, little balls of rock. But they're deadly and also modifiable. Some of them shoot volcano hot. Some of them shoot sticky face flipper <laughs> you know what i mean yeah maybe like, they have a separate they're, spot they're to mul- shoot villains. are they multi-tools <laughs> i don't know either way they're Load shoot, the villain cannon. their shoot pipes grow and extrude they shot a villop i just i wonder what the yuzhan vong are here for as they encounter this ship of scientists and they're like come to our home <laughs> come in though yeah. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Yikes, right? We've already heard enough from uh, I think Yomankar and Namanor and Prefect Gara to know that they're here for nothing good. Yeah. But we cut to Jerem in the jungle night with his beetle plant and bag of stink air. The, that how he happened to gather on accident. Just accidentally. Mm-hmm. He reaches the safety of the station where thankfully Yomankar is waiting to greet him. Wait, whoops, he's a bad guy, and you don't know it. He pins him against a tree. Yeoman Carr removes his Ooglyph masker or whatever he's got on and reveals his treachery and gives Jerem an honorable death at his warrior hands Mm -hmm. by breaking his neck with his bare hands. Such honor. Yeah, warrior's death. The honor of dying. He killed him, though, mostly because he misses killing so much. <laughs> yeah, not just out of honor and respect, but just because he wanted to. He's like, to. you know what? Probably normally in uh, under normal circumstances, I wouldn't afford you so much honor in your death. But I've been really dying to give somebody an honorable death for a while. <laughs> yeah. So, welcome. <laughs> yeah, you worked really hard to get here. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, yeah. And then we cut to Danny wakes from the assault on the... Very, very poorly put together ancient ship that they're flown out to Helska for. They easily get overtaken. They crash uh, down towards the planet. And Danny wakes to f- find the Yuzhan Vong torture murdering her friend. Mm-hmm. The Yuzhan Vong, Tim, get this, are not good guys. No. No. I never would have guessed. She, on the other hand, is given an honor. Prefect Tagara asks her, you like see galaxy die? Why do they talk like cavemen? Just because they don't know this language. Like, mm-hmm. I guess that's an affectation that I'm putting on it as I'm reading it. But the structure of the language just, it lends, it leans right uh, directly into Neanderthal speak yeah. from like a Geico commercial back <laughs> before they, after they had lizards, but before they had other stuff happening. Yeah. Man. Why? Anyways, you like see Galaxy die? That's a big claim. Mm-hmm. And probably a big honor. So they force upon her a bodysuit, Nullith. What was that one called? The Starfish. 
No, that's the breather thing. They shove that in her mouth, too. Yeah. But there's the one that makes you not feel the cold instead of looking like a human. Yeah, the other Ooglith, whatever. Whatever. Some living being that tentacles itself all over her, and they shove a starfish down her throat and shove her head first into the ice hole. Mm-hmm. Hey, they're going to kill the galaxy? But he didn't kill her outright, so it's almost like how... When he was asking Yeoman Carr, hey, do you think she can be, like, joined to us or not? Yeah, that's interesting. You're right. That he's Maybe he's not going to kill yeah. her outright, but it seems like the overall plan is you see Galaxy die? Yeah, that's the plan. What or what? That's not... That's not like a takeover and conquer situation. That's like a like a locust lighted on fire. Oh yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, like a like a swarm just taking everything as they pass through Take, to the next use galaxy and destroy. Yeah. yeah. So that's the end of the chapter. But the title is "The Honor of Dying." What does it mean? Well, it's a big deal to the Yuzhan Vong the way mm-hmm. that you die, the way that you're allowed to die. The options you're given in the way that you get to die. And in that scene with Prefect Agara, after her friend gets tortured to death, Danny Kui, they shove the thing on her body. And he's like, you don't shiver. You were afforded the honor of watching the galaxy die. You don't shiver while this thing shoves its tentacles into you. And she like bites down on her lip or whatever. Yeah, and she doesn't. She shows some... She pushes through that and it's like, this is the... This is the the culture of the Yuzhan Vong. This is the, the honor of dying. Mm-hmm. Why is it such a big deal to them? We don't know. No. But that's an interesting question. Why? Why do they care so much about the way that you die? They worship death. They welcome death. But why? Like, where does it all come from, right? Yeah, it's like um, in earth terms like the ancient samurai style die the, by the sword and rather than old age and infirmity or rather than cowardly you die mm-hmm. with pride and honor and stuff mm-hmm. jerem died with honor mm-hmm. who else not the screaming tortured friends belkadan the planet <laughs> gonna quietly die a poisonous death and just become a what and the rest Stinky of those ball of gas the rest of those scientists honorably gave their lives to jerem to to do that like to to let him go and and to pass on to give him the oxygen tanks get this information to the science station Get this going. We need to know what's happening Take here. your beetle and your plant and your bag of stinky air and <laughs> yeah. all of our bags of clean air and go survive. And he like flies over a canyon and stuff. Mm-hmm. Great job, by the way. Great job vamping off the cuff when I just decided I'm going to get up and walk across the room right now. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know what? That was a surprise. But you know what, man? The honor of dying. I kind of can. Uh, okay. Let's say as a human being. And a person who is, oh, number one, horrified of dying mm-hmm. and the fact that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm just not going to be here sometime. No, um, I'm a freak out right now. I can't handle that. It's, it's scary for a lot of people. I can't do it. That's yeah. not allowed. So technology, help me out. We'll <laughs> see what happens with medical science. But 
as far as the honor of dying, if you could die in a way where somebody, part of that thing, that scene with Danny Quee was that I will watch you. I will watch you die. Or part of the scene with Jerem, excuse me, mm-hmm. and Yeoman Carp was like, I'm going to watch you die a, a purposeful death. And watching that and witnessing that, witnessing your death gives it meaning. And that kind of, you know, we could transfer that to like our, our regular human life or like the remembering a person yeah. is what gives their life meaning and, and stuff like that. But like mm-hmm. an honorable death instead of dying screaming and tortured you're being offered by these conquerors a chance to bite your tongue and see some crazy stuff mm-hmm. before we have inevitably kill you if you don't join us i guess like yeah what uh, thing odds are good you're gonna die anyways but let's let's watch a cool thing happen first you were a part of it apparently everyone's gonna die because we're gonna kill the galaxy Chapter 10, Running the Belt. The whole family arrives at Lando's place after a week in hyperspace. Okay, I didn't mean to rhyme that. (laughs) I was just sort of (laughs) sight reading that, and the words look the same. Here we all are. We've reached um, Asteroid Belt Bumper Cars (laughs) Paradise, run by Lando Calrissian, smuggler, trainer, extraordinaire. Everybody's here except Jaina. Whoops. <laughs> she flew here solo, wink, in an X-Wing. Everybody else came on the on the whatever ships. On the Jade Saber and the Falcon? Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I got you. I'm trying to read things at the same time. But Master Mara gave her apprentice a bit of a challenge. Come here yourself in the X-Wing, which is enough of a challenge in and of itself. Like a weeks-long journey with minimal food boring as death by yourself in a metal tube in the coldness of space. Yeah. Also, whoops, I told R2 to give you the wrong coordinates. Yeah. Whoops. Mara's a learn by doing kind of person. Isn't that great? Isn't that freaking wonderful? I love that their master apprentice relationship so far. I love it. And I can't believe it didn't come up much in the, other two series that we read actually mm-hmm. that that Mara had trained Jaina. You would think that would be like an everlasting bond that gets thought of constantly throughout the other books, but it just it doesn't. Especially after everything that happens with all of the characters and everything that involves them we, in all those series. We read eighteen books. Yeah. You're right. Across everything that happens in those series. Ha- how often does it come up that that's my former apprentice? How many apprentices has she had? Yeah, who knows? I don't know. Not many. There isn't even a council right now. And and they don't. Like, right? Yeah. yeah there's, like there's... you would think that would be a forever super closeness bond. That's important to all the stories that happen forever after. Mm-hmm. It's happening here and it's important here. And Mara's playing tricks on her and doing cool stuff with it. Yeah. But like, you're right. Like. Over over the other eighteen books we read, like it was not a center point. No pun intended. <laughs> it might have been brought up once or twice, but definitely, honestly, definitely it, mentioned like in passing, but not at all a focal point. Yeah, not enough for me to remember the the times. Yeah, which is really strange because 
You know, or maybe that's just a fault of ours because I also didn't really pay that much attention or remember much that like, ah, Luke and Jason and Luke and Anakin. And like, I just didn't really remember who the new kids are or care to, I guess, package that information into their identities, like who the new kids were taught by. Mm -hmm. I just kind of separated all that after they were like, we're grown up and graduated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, you are yourself now, I guess. You answer for your own decisions and stuff. But I just imagine across 18 books, if that had been more of a focal point, would it, I will say this, spoiler alert, what we complained about for 18 books, more Jaina. Well, mm-hmm. there's a way. There's just a way. That's a, just a way right there. Anyways, Master Mars giving her the wrong coordinates. R2-D2 knows the way, so don't panic, Mom and Dad. She's just going to have to use the Force to feel the family, especially her brother, because they have such close connection. Yep. We're, like, checking in on... This is kind of info dumping. Mm-hmm. It's sneaking information that we need to know about the characters and their previous relationships. Sneaking that information in there by way of the events of the current scene. Yep. And it's a sneaky info dump. It's not, like, an obtrusive thing where someone sits down and says... Here's what you need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? But nonetheless, it is serving that purpose, which I don't mind. Here's your test. Don't fail it. There's two planets here. There's Dubrillion and Destrillion. Mm-hmm. One is nice. One is a mine. Hey, that reminds me of somewhere else we've just been recently, like those other two planets. Osarian. And Ramamool. I think Leia even thinks that to herself. Yeah, she does. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but with Lando here this time, instead of it some, makes it that much some better. Scary Yuzhan Vong, uh, Rebel Rouser, Rabble Rouser. Yeah, both. He walks his traitor assassin here, and he gives everybody a big greeting with all his usual bluster and charm, and he gives them a tour of this giant facility that they're in which oversees all of the runnings in and out of the belt, if you will, by the title. Sets up Jaina with a bit of a challenge. A deadly piloting run after she's made her way here on her own. Mm -hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Proven herself. Nailed it. Lando says, why don't you uh, jump in one of those ships and go ahead and uh, try your best at the asteroid belt here? Oh, did I mention we have a leaderboard? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The whole family is here, but in this first part of the chapter, Jason and Anakin aren't named and don't speak. No. Everybody is together. Lando talks to everyone except for them and thinks, I think, okay, if I recall, he even thinks Jaina and her brothers. Mm -hmm. They're like specifically unnamed. Why? That's on purpose. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, they get to... They go, they do this run first. We'll get to that. But in the scene, the reason why they're left out is to focus us on Jaina is the pilot. Yeah. Like, it's... Ignore the brothers. They don't even get named. You're right. They're mm. going to do the thing, too. But they don't even get named From here. From the very beginning of the chapter. Let's focus on... Who is the pilot? Yeah. Yeah. From the very beginning of the chapter, everybody's on the ships. <laughs> Except for Jaina. Chewbacca, Jason, and Anakin don't get mentioned. Everybody's there. 
We're talking about Jane is going to be off course. Jane is going to have to do this. Jane is going to be late. Jaina has shown up. Jaina has proven herself. Jaina, come and do the thing on the special trip of the piloting tricks and trades and uh, show everybody how cool you are. And your brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Just to focus us, the reader, in on this character who really is probably getting this development for like one of the first times. Mm-hmm. What is Jaina's character going to be about? What are her strengths going to focus into? Apparently piloting, because she's been piloting since the very first chapter of this book. Yep. Yeah. Which, I'm digging it. Mm-hmm. You know what we're getting? We're getting a lot of Jaina. <laughs> and then we cut to the fancy ships with their broadcast shields and whoops, we have a competitive leaderboard. And whoops, Kip Durin, that Jedi that we talked about earlier, is number one. And did you know, Jaina is a pilot prodigy? And incredibly competitive. <laughs> did you did you know these things about Jaina Solo? Because we're learning them about her right now. Quote, Jaina and the other two solo youngsters got their test runs. We are so focused on Jaina that we don't even name her brothers. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> Finally. The Rockets come back and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. The boys take their runs. Jason bounces out of the run after a decent uh, score. Anakin starts his amazing flight with a crash. So scary slash safe, you don't even care that you beat your big brother. Yeah. He's all a, a full adrenaline mode young pilot getting to do a thing for the first time. This one year younger than his twin's little brother. Mm-hmm. He... Jumps into the same cockpit as Jason, and he's just so excited to do better than him, but in a different way, right? The comparison that we get is a reflection of the uh, a ph- philosophical argument that we had before. Jason, piloting his way through the asteroid belt, instead of focusing on being the best pilot, focuses on the force guiding him. Anakin... Focuses on being the best pilot, using the force as a tool to make his piloting skills better. Yeah. And let me say, as a player of the RPG game, excellent way to do it. Mm-hmm. I was crushing it as a pilot while rolling force dice to add myself advantages and successes. It was unbelievably unstoppable. <laughs> okay. I don't know. What did we do there with an A-wing? Didn't I, like, didn't I? What did I do? Didn't we jump on top of somebody's ship and, like, fight them through the cockpit? Anyways. It's something like that. Maybe not piloting skill, but the point being, it's just another physical, I guess this time, reflection of their disagreement. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's going to be important, right? The, the, the things that are getting repeated to us over the first half of this novel, pay attention. Yeah. It's got to be important for this book, at least, if not moving forward for a few more. Yeah. And in this case, Anakin beats jason his doing it his way yeah as opposed to the saber fight where jason wins oh so, interesting i forgot about that You're so right. it's it to me it's like they're both right maybe it's a combination of the two that you should probably well it somewhere. isn't that i actually have that exactly written down later and we can we can reiterate it again but isn't that just the way kids think mm-hmm. my way is better not that also but like there's a there's a there's a binary here. Mm-hmm. There's left or right, and only one choice is correct. 
There is no diagonal of mm-hmm. any degree. Even though, of course, there is, right? 180 degrees of diagonal choices between left and right. Mm-hmm. And all of them can have their own successes and, and, and advantages and disadvantages, right? Mm-hmm. But these are 16 and 15-year-old kids. Yeah. And as much as they may be reflecting big questions because they're big people in a, in a big space of magic, they're kids who yep. don't see the gray area that you're talking about. Yeah. Which I think also is the correct answer. If, if, if you're asking me, uh, <laughs> like, why is a thing a thing? Is it reason A or reason B? Well, my almost always response is going to be A and B, right? Equals thing. Yeah. Like, it's not one or the other. It's mm-hmm. got to be both. They're teenagers, though. Yep. And they argue, they argue, as Jaina heads out for her turn. And she rushes in. Russians in. She rushes in. And she rushes in too quickly to learn to plan instead. Oh, what the hell is happening? (laughs) I don't know. Let me try that again. Let's try a Russian accent again for as if we're not taking way too long to get this podcast out. She rushes in too quickly to learn how to plan instead of react. Huh? That was way better. I don't know what dialect or region of Russia that was. But the sounds that came out of my face were consistent. (laughs) That's important. So you know what? It doesn't have to be a named region. (laughs) It doesn't have to be a Victor region. Vitor region. I call them Victor. It doesn't. It just needs to be consistent. Anyways, Jaina jumps into the asteroid belt and she's like, I'm going to go real fast. And then that turns out to be a bad idea. Cut to... The parents watching and cringing while Luke and Mara just smile. Mm-hmm. They don't have kids. <laughs> They're like, yeah, all right. You guys clutch and, clutch and hug each other, but the kids will be fine. It's no big deal. We don't, we don't worry about anybody's mortal life because we haven't birthed them. Uh, there's also a technician who's yelling, unbreachable pattern. <laughs> yeah. And we cut to. Jaina sees the unbreachable pattern. It's an asteroid wall, but she feels the support from mom and master both. Girl power. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to you. Chewie cheers because she did it. And Jason says she's the complete package. Pilot and force. What was the old record, Tim? <laughs> 11. Eleven minutes. Yep. And the new record that Jaina Solo sets, sunken into the force, yeah. into herself, <laughs> becoming the best version of her skills in the environment that she's placing herself into. Yeah, she goes for a whole 27 minutes and 27 seconds, I believe, is the... Is 27, the 27. That's exactly what I have written down. Yeah. 16 minutes longer than Master Kip Duran. We... I am getting everything I wanted out of the last 18 books in this first nine, 10 chapters of this book. Mm-hmm. I, ooh, sorry, everybody that's listened to every episode, huh? Because <laughs> how many times have I yelled more Jaina? Where is Jaina? Gimme Jaina. Why not? Why not? She's important. 
blah, blah, blah. Where, what is any of this? These 10 chapters start with her being focused on as being the coolest of all the kids. Mm -hmm. Like Jason and Anakin only, uh, only seem to grasp one side of the force each. But Jaina being outside of that argument doesn't care about that and just does what she needs to do. And she is the coolest new Jedi of the order that doesn't maybe exist yet. Yeah. She is, like you said, she is doing what she needs to do, whether it's use the force as a tool or drop completely into the force. And she is making herself a better Jedi because of it. And Han says, quote, the kid can fly. Yeah. Jeez. Damn, she's excellent. But the title, Running the Belt. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems pretty obvious, right? Yeah, that one's pretty good. But could there be a... Okay, Jaina ran the asteroid belt. And so did Anakin, and so did Jason, and so did all the other people on the leaderboard, and Kip Durin was the leader. Wait. Whoa. I, my next question is, is there a hidden meaning here to the running the belt? Jaina ran the belt, and what did she do? She overtook a rogue Jedi on the scoreboard mm-hmm. by a tremendous amount to bring the focus over to the Solo Skywalker family. Yeah. Okay. And in a way that is like, when we're questioning what Kip, uh, the uh, the legitimacy of what Kip Dern is doing out here, for her to beat him on the leaderboard tells us his actions are less legitimate. And her running the belt means that the belt is going to get tightened. All right, that's a bit of a stretch and stupid. <laughs> but there's something here where like her beating him on the leaderboard means the kids are taking over. There's gonna be a new Jedi order. I couldn't resist. There's gonna <laughs> there's gonna be a new whole I don't know a whole oh God situation. There's a whole a new way of God, doing things words. in the galaxy. Guys, we're three days late and so late in the day. Yeah, but there's some significance there beyond just the obvious part of the title. Speaking of obvious titles, Chapter Eleven, boom. <laughs> i wrote these titles down by the way like i said i was going to chapter 11 boom all right i'll take it the beetle induced toxic cloud storm has overtaken xgal 4 and now the six remaining quote enemies are trapped inside with yeoman car probably not good nope the Yuzhan Vong are pretty dangerous. It seems we're being taught over the first uh, handful of chapters here. I feel like it'd be like being trapped inside of a, like like some sort of building with like a predator. Well, what do we talk about? This is a horror movie. What's yep. happening at Xgal 4, the station of scientists, is a horror movie. This guy is a predator disguised as a sheep. Mm-hmm. And he sees the other six people in this building as enemies. And how dangerous is he going to be? Well, that's proven immediately. As he rips an air hose off the back of somebody's helmet, 
suffocates that person and then puts an axe into the next lady's chest immediately. No chance, Shane O'Mac. Nope. Not a bit. And we cut to missiles flying between Ramamul and Osarian as Namanor tries a sneaky getaway inside an A-wing inside a rocket. Riding on mm-hmm. a bigger shuttle, which is full of nuclear explosives. He's supposed to be heading to that ship we met in the first chapter. The Mediator. Yeah. The big Mon Calamari ship, not the new ship. That was that Coruscant that the other people saw. Yeah. This old version, the one that looks like a gun, probably. The Yeah, the Mon Cal Cruiser or whatever it is. But he's supposed to be heading to the Mediator for a mediation. Oh, snap. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Instead of going there himself, wouldn't you know this sneaky little bad guy, he sends a decoy shuttle... Like I said, loaded with nuclear fission explosives. And how, Tim, did he trigger those explosives? He said, boom. Mm-hmm. He said, boom. And there was like, he had a fake body with its, uh, not a fake body, excuse me, a body with its head cut off in the pilot seat that he stuck a villip on. And the villip spoke the trigger explosion word. In the cockpit of the shuttle that was flying into the mediator and blew it all half to shit. He said, boom. He stuck his own villip head on a decapitated body. Disgusting. So gross. Did you know they're disgusting? Mm-hmm. And not only are they physically disgusting, it's also disgusting that he gets away with this. Because now he's off to the next destination. The next spot where Naminor could stir up the passions of the oppressed, could cause havoc to the New Republic, and keep the fools so consumed by the civil wars and unrest among their own that they would not turn their eyes outward to the fringes of the galaxy where far more dangerous trouble was beginning to stew. Just reiterating. Things are going to get worse before they have a chance to even be recognized. As being bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, okay, let's take Leia Organa Solo as an example. Former chief of state, former president of the New Republic, whatever the hell the wording is. She would be the person with maybe the most political no, the most political intel. She don't know nothing about no Yuzhan Vong, nowhere, nor does anyone. Yeah. Nobody knows anything about these people. And he's already now set two worlds into a war. Mm -hmm. And now he's heading off to some other place. Boom. (laughs) Distracted. (laughs) Uh, Nominor has a little villip chat with Prefect Agara, who is disappointed that his region of space is sparsely populated and probably won't provide much resistance. I was really looking forward to killing as many of these pieces of crap as possible. <laughs> yeah, all these mechanical All these users. lesser than. Mm-hmm. Right? Good grief. He's disappointed. He won't get to kill more people. I don't know if you know, we're not... This is 0% sympathetic villain. Yeah. Like, we're not supposed to... There's no part of these guys so far that is at all 
relatable if you're not psychotic. Mm-hmm. Is at all empathetic if you're not a sociopath. There's nothing good to be found in these villains at all, and I like that. Mm-hmm. If you're going to invade a galaxy, be awful. Yeah. Be horror-awful, disgusting, cut yourselves apart, stick yourselves with a starfish wiener down your throat. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this region of space doesn't have enough people to resist the conquest of the galaxy. Prefect Agara says, not kill the galaxy. Dun, dun, dun. Is that a Tizo worm mistranslation? Oh, maybe. I bet. I hadn't thought of that, actually. Yeah. He's, why is he speaking broken basic? Because a worm is telling him inside of his ear and brain what native words become what. Yeah, translated thing. Translated. It's words. like trying to use Google Translate to translate something. It never Live comes out right. From your brain. Yeah. While you're speaking out loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so done, done, done. Isn't that interesting? Conquest of the galaxy, they say to each other in their native tongue of Yuzhan Vongian. I don't know what the hell they call it. Vongese, maybe. But the conquest starts with the next plan. Destroy Cernpedal. And if we consult the map in the front of the book, Cernpedal is about a millimeter right of Helska. Yeah, it's not far. We're right back out on the edge of the galaxy talking about we're going to destroy a planet and draw hopefully a percentage of the New Republic fleet out here so we can crush them with our overwhelming force that they have no idea that we have here. Yeah, let's, let's kill their fleet and... Drops and just wear them down over time, apparently. It's a good war plan. Yeah. Except part of this conversation had been, we don't want to give away our position out here and the fact that we're gathering forces. So why is our distraction all the way out here on the on the edge of the galaxy where we're gathering? Why not have a distraction, I don't know, on the other 50 side, degrees like- west? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, Galactic West. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just be not exactly a, a spitting distance from the planet that you're planting your Yamisk war coordinator. Just be further. Because mm-hmm. Naminor himself right now, Ramamul and Osarian, is like right near Karelia, near the core almost. Yeah. And we're talking about Cernpedal being way about a... a on the edge of the tingle arm of the galaxy, mm-hmm. near the corporate sector. Yep. I'm saying all these things without looking at the map. Even <laughs> though I said, let's look at the map. I did it earlier. I'm not even reading from notes either. This is all correct information. Yes, it is. I am a loser. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm cool. Anyways. Let's create a big distraction at the edge of the galaxy by destroying a planet. Well, the question becomes, if you're going to, you know, beg such a question by positing this information, destroy a planet, destroy it. How? They spend a few minutes thinking about it. They tell a story from Yuzhan Vong myth and legend about Yogand had utilized the power of a strong Dovin basil. 
The same gravity-focusing creature now used to propel world ships and other craft by dropping it to the surface of Ixir, where it focused one beam to latch onto the planet's core, the other to grab at the passing moon. Since the destruction of Ixir, Nominor's people had learned to easily counter the tactic, but these infidels, without understanding of the extragalactic creatures and without the countering powers of other Dovin basils, would have no way to determine the source of impending disaster, and they would not have the firepower to defeat it. That's a lot of bold claims from two bad guys talking to each other. Mm -hmm. However, what they are recalling is something that actually happened in their history. Yeah. Someone used one of these blobby worm things, right? Like a three foot blob of blackness. Mm -hmm. And they stuck it to a planet and it pulled in both directions like the greatest Stretch Armstrong that you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> yep. And it smashed a moon into a planet and ended the civil war among the tribes of the Yuzhan Vong and allowed such and such a person to unite all the clans. Yeah. So that's also like a deep dive actually into the Yuzhan Vong history. Yeah, you get some of their history in this too. Who are these people? Where do they come from? They are... A bunch of warring tribes that were united by an act of horrific violence and genocide and murderous intent. <laughs> and here they are praying to those same gods and people for success of the same mission. Because how are we going to destroy this planet? We are going to smash a moon into it. Oh my god. That would do it. These Yuzhan Vong are 0% fooling around. Mm -hmm. 0% fooling around. No. Like, no, not at all. Okay, we've had like a little bit of talk of how like, hey, we've been here for years waiting to do the thing. We didn't check in on any of that. We checked in on full gas, pedal <laughs> to the metal, go time. Murder everyone, smash planets with moons. <laughs> wow. These yeah. villains are another level of threat to a Star Wars story that I've never seen before, man. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a, that's not true. Maybe the Chiss did it on a smaller level before with the, the Thrawn trilogy where they were an invading force that came out of nowhere type of thing. But this seems to be completely different kind of people than that with yeah absolutely different goals that may range from kill the galaxy to take it over and and the another difference is a threat that's extra galactic rather than the chiss where they were here yeah, intra yeah intergalactic intra galactic all right fair enough so boom what does it mean <laughs> well we start the chapter with Literal missiles flying from one planet to another. Yep. And a ship flying into a ship and going boom. And then they drop off of that ship as a missile that pretends to go boom. And then they fly away. All that obvious stuff. They also boom a civil war into fruition. Mm -hmm. Between Ramamul and Osari. And a civil war uh, amongst this star system, I suppose, right? Within the New Republic. Meant to be a big distraction. They also boom... The next step of the invasion. 
And the next step of the invasion plan is a big boom. Yeah. Uh, we're going to smash a moon into a planet to destroy an entire planet is the plan. You know who did that? That I saw on a movie one time? Mm-hmm. Oh, the Death Star? And yeah. the Empire? And Grandma Tarkin? And Darth Vader? And Palpatine was there somewhere, but we didn't really know it yet. Yeah. Their plan is to do that in a nature-based way. Yeah. We're going to use this being we're gonna use this animal that can pull so hard on gravity (laughs) and maybe interesting concept maybe not even pull so hard on gravity but like in a relative sort of way the two things that it latches onto are such massive sources and forces of gravity that it can then wield that amount like it's a conduit Mm-hmm. instead of an amplifier or something like that. Oh, man, that was interesting. They have such cool technology. Yep. Living tech. It's a weird thing. Oh, but imagining so it into a science fiction world where it serves a science purpose. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a tractor beam, essentially. Yeah. Just alive. Explained through living tissue. Instead. Yeah. But not even explained. Just like. This lump of black mess can do that. Mm-hmm. Explain. Chapter 12. Let's wrap this up. My God. Chapter 12. The game. The reality. Where Jason and Anakin argue over how Jaina just got the high score. How did she do it? Was it the flow of the force? Or was it force enhanced piloting skills? Teenagers Love a needless dichotomy, as alluded to earlier. But it's both, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, it's both. How did she do better than you both? She's a better pilot. How did she also do better than you both? She, as a better pilot, as a better pilot, with these pre-existing skills, fell correctly into the force, like Jason did. Mm-hmm. But he's not as strong of a pilot. It's both. Okay? Yep. Come on, kids. It's both. But they argue because uh, that's what Jason and Anakin are set up to do uh, through the first half of this book. They're going to just absolutely disagree every time they come into contact with each other. They even threaten to fight each other again. Yes, they do. Cool. Well, just show me right now. Let's, hey, I'll beat you, you this You want to settle this war of words? Let's do it with laser swords that can cut each other's hands off in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. Okay, brothers. Oh, my God. Seriously, though, just imagine that. Okay. Han and Leia are worried about Okay, Leia's worried about her kids flying out there in the asteroid belt with these broadcast shields that are supposed to bumper cars them around and spin them out, and you might feel, you might feel sick and stuff. I just choked on my own spit, but you'll survive. She should be worried about the two kids, the two brothers, cutting each other's heads off. Yeah, over philosophy. I don't know what to tell you, but you're looking the wrong way. It's been a week, and there's been one fight with laser swords and one almost. <laughs> Oh, man. That's a lot so, of danger. Second place on the leaderboard shows up. Kip Duran compliments Jaina. Great job. And then invites all the solo kids to do work. Yep. Um, he's, does, he know, does he know he's talking to teenagers? <laughs> does he know whose teenagers these you are? Know, do you know you're talking to, talking to teenagers? And there's teenagers of like notorious smuggler guy who's like, Get by, guy. Mm-hmm. 
Come on, teenagers, do some work. Yeah, you know, catching bad guys, stopping smugglers, settling disputes, and then they all argue about that too. Mm-hmm. What is the way of the Jedi? Should we be should we be pursuing uh, arguments and disputes, or should we just be pursuing our own path and then solving these problems as they come to our path, not going out of our way to stop all the smugglers in the sector and blah 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 blah. We're blah, not blah, galactic blah, blah. police. Jason argues with Kip Durin. Mm-hmm. Jason's sixteen. Last time we saw Jason, he was arguing with Luke Skywalker. I almost called him Luke Solo. Oh, that would have been a first. Yeah. I, that's the first time those words have ever left my lips. It felt weird <laughs> to even admit that. But seriously, every time we see Jason, he's just arguing with everybody. He's like, my philosophy is best. And here's the thing. You shouldn't have a council. Here's the thing. You shouldn't practice swinging a lightsaber. Here's the thing. Stop fighting smugglers. Yeah. He's just telling all, everybody what to do. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. But it also very much fits for a teenage boy. Right? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's perfect. definitely. It's perfect. None of the kids want to come do work. They're all like, uh, I don't think we should. Uh, we, we're just too busy arguing. And so Kip blasts off to a symphony. Yeah. <laughs> Some orchestra music playing over the speakers as his dozen and two Avengers, I nailed it, mm-hmm. take off from the, from the flight bay to music in a synchronized pattern. Cause they are just so cool. Yeah. And, I- an excellent uh, show of piloting with that Kip Durin flair. Which means Jason and Anakin get to argue some more. Yep. Anakin's like, wasn't that so cool? And Jason's like, wasn't that a bit much? Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'm with Jason. Yeah, that yeah. was a little much. But also, it was pretty cool. If it would have been... And it's not like there's a, there's no threat abound right now. There's no danger here. There's no like life on the line. There's no... He's being silly in a silly time. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Sorry, I cut yeah. you off there. If you, if you were to either, like, take out the music and just do the f- piloting skills, then I would be, hey, that's great piloting. I'd be on Anakin's side. But he added the music, which... Yeah, it had to been, like, the, the, the rise of the chariots. Oh, I'm saying all things wrong. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. Cut. Two. <laughs> but you say it's wrong, so I'll agree. Yeah. You know what it is. Come on. It's a, a, I don't know the name of it. All right. Oh, okay. But you know what I'm like. Yeah. You know what I'm trumpeting out of my face hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So he says, come work with me. And the kids are like, nah. So Kip leaves. And we cut to away from the kids to all the adults and two droids who get named but don't speak, which just makes me think of the earlier chapter. Or Jason Hinnigan don't even get named. <laughs> they don't even get named. They're like the solo brothers. Mm-hmm. Anyways. All the adults and two droids and they all get dropped by name as we cut to Luke loves Mara. And no one wants to run Lando's belt again. The kids did it. We're all too old for that. He looks at Luke. Would be pretty cool to have Luke Skywalker's name up on that. Okay. Would be pretty cool to have Mara Jade's name up on that. And they look at each other and he's like, oh, I love how she's looking at me. She read my mind. She knew that I would do the thing if she wanted to. Even though I don't really want to, I would do it for her. In this time of sickness to make her just feel better about herself. And I don't want to. And then he looks over at Leia and she puts up a hand. Talk to the hand. Mm-hmm. And then... Who can I get to run this asteroid belt with a famous name that I can put on a leaderboard? 
He looks at Han and Chewie. And what does he do? Insults their piloting skills and their thus their manhood. Yeah. Hey, we have a pairs uh, track to run. And yeah. these two guys that you know aren't as good as you, they're at the top right now. You going to let them get away with that? That's right. Oh, we wouldn't even fit inside the TIE bomber. And then Chewbacca's like, Hurr! and then like, ah, oh, that's probably going to set off the dog alarm, the dog alarm. But they get teased and peer pressured into doing this actually dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is such the dumb, what I consider to be old generational masculinity. Mm-hmm. Where, like, if someone looks you in the eyes and says, you can't or you won't, then you must respond with the words, hold my beer, and then attempt to do thus said deadly or stupid thing. It's always stupid, too. Always. For infinity. And, oh, my God, I just slammed my hand down on the mouse, and then I was like, I didn't even check for all this time if we were recording, and it's so late. It's been an hour. We are recording. Han and Chewie get peer pressured through emasculation mm-hmm. into running a dangerous asteroid belt in a satellite shielded TIE bomber retrofitted yep. to fit two people in the cockpit. Yeah, it's got like a, a couch in it. Got to protect that manhood. And uh, everybody tells us how they're the greatest pilots ever. Don't forget, Han Solo, he's pretty good. And you know what? Chewbacca's been by his side always and forever. The kids are like, they don't have the force. (laughs) They might be great pilots, but they don't have the force and they'll never do it. And they're doubting them. But Luke Skywalker never doubts Han and Chewie. Just in case you wanted to back that relationship up a little bit. Mm -hmm. In case you were going to threaten them cut to (laughs) a weird shift actually between these two paragraphs i don't know if you noticed this okay at the end of the previous paragraph jason's looking at han and chewie flying on the tv Mm -hmm. on the on the recording and he's like wow that's beautiful they're last second dodging and they're twisting and turning they're avoiding all the asteroids and then we have this weird broken perspective shift Mm mm-hmm Where most of the book, from what I'm learning of listening to writers talk on podcasts, most of the book happens in third person limited. This person knows what's in their head and what they see. But as we cut to Han Solo and Chewbacca in the TIE Bomber, we break into third person omniscient. Where if you look at it, it ends with, the previous paragraph ends with Jason going, wow, beautiful. And then the next paragraph, cut to, starts with Han going, he didn't think it was that beautiful. Mm -hmm. Where, okay, that can just be a parallel thought in Han Solo's head, right? Where he's just thinking the same kind of thing that his child would think because his child thinks that because he thinks that. Mm -hmm. It's their way of thinking. It's their way of phrasing. It's their way of expressing. But it seemed to switch from guy watching a TV of a guy flying a ship 
to guy in the ship going guy on the TV has no idea how hard this actually is. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, was, I did pick up on and that. And from what I've from what I've learned from listening to writers, these two perspectives are called third person limited, where you know what you would know as a human being mm-hmm. looking at each other right now. I don't know what's in your head to say in the words in the narrative. Tim was thinking such and such a thing, but it wasn't beautiful. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so obviously uh, the other perspective is omniscient where the person seems to know everything in everybody else's head. And maybe you can use that. Not maybe. Often you can use that third person omniscient seeming to be an unreliable narrator. Let's talk about The Hobbit for a second. Mm-hmm. The book is a book. Written by a guy in the book. Yeah. It's called There and Back Again. Written by Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. And so there are parts in the book where it seems that the narrator is omniscient, but in fact, he is faulty. Mm -hmm. An unreliable narrator. And maybe that's setting up for some sort of unreliable narrator here. I just chunked all those words. Yeah, he butchered that. But... It just seemed more like a weird thing that happened once in the last series, too, didn't it? Yeah, I think. Which comes 20 years almost after these books. But there was one thing. Anyways, weird. Just a weird perspective shift where somebody in a space shouldn't know what someone somewhere else is thinking, but they do. Mm -hmm. Or explain through parenting and genetics. It's parallel thinking. Han Solo just cuts in and he goes, actually, this isn't beautiful. Maybe he was one moment ago thinking beautiful. (laughs) Maybe. But anyways, we cut to that weird shift. Hey, how does he know Jason's perspective? Anyways, oh, well. Han's been screaming the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) He tells us. He tells us that. The entire run through the asteroid belt so far. He's been screaming his face off. And then we commence... Two Stooges physical comedy scene <laughs> yeah. where they're accidentally elbowing each other and grabbing the sticks and moving them the same way, which means no movement in the opposite directions. That means no movement. Like they are just, they're out of their rhythm because they're not in their regular ship. Mm-hmm. Chewie's jammed in a car seat. He's, <laughs> I was just going to say he's a 10 foot guy in a four foot box. Yeah. They're, they just are having this series of comedy of, of errors, right? Where they are accidentally being incredible pilots. <laughs> these, these two are a golden duo, no matter what. But hey, Han Solo looks down at some things on the on the ship, and he's like, "The timer's not on. How am I supposed to get first place on the leaderboard if the timer's not on?" And we cut to everyone not aboard that tie bomber notices. The timer's not on <laughs> and the communications are down and the shields are down. Yeah. Now to reiterate, this is shield based bumper cars in an asteroid belt. Mm-hmm. So Han and Chewbacca are out there flying, assuming we can bounce off a rock and be alive. Yeah. Newsflash. No. No. They're in one of the least armored vehicles in space, too. And suddenly, anything with the words tie, words, single word tie in front of it, 
deadliest ship to be piloting of all time. Yeah. Because, yes, they're made of fiberglass, one millimeter thick, with a seat and a gun, and no shields. Yeah. <laughs> but we just switched tones 100,000%. Mm-hmm. 360 degrees would probably be... No, they're wrong. 180 <laughs> degrees. Damn it. I never thought I'd make that mistake in my life. Okay, but I put two half circles into a whole circle, and that just brings us back. Where we Even started. though you used 180 degrees earlier? Yeah. Ah, that was but, so long ago, Tim. We're fucking in a whole hour into the podcast now. Point being, 10 seconds ago, it was elbowing each other and roaring, and, and Reader is laughing because <laughs> these two are banging into each other but getting it done. Yep. And now suddenly the shields are off and these two heroes are in absolutely deadly danger because of lacking information. Yeah. Can I just echo that through the entire first 12 chapters where how much danger, this is not on the page here, how much danger is the entire new Republican and, you know, he, not humanity, uh, what's this galaxy? Does it have a name? I'm sure it does, but Star Wars Galaxy Life. How much is that in danger suddenly without their extra galactic shield that you just assume is there? Mm-hmm. A shield from the outside that you just assume is always there, and now it's gone, and you're in deathly danger, and you don't even understand that. All the grown-ups that aren't on the ship know it. And we cut to Han Solo says, let's bounce off of that one. <laughs> Whoops. They don't bounce. They hit it. They and break they off a foil. Smash half of their right side, the top half of their right side wing, it sounded like. And in the collision, Han Solo's seatbelt comes undone, Tim. <laughs> yes, it does. And there's an asteroid dead ahead. As we cut to a signal blackout. The people watching on the TV suddenly lose their visual. They lose picture. The coverage is over. It's gone to rainbow bars and... Yeah. It's television in the 90s past 2 a.m. (laughs) If there's not people touching each other's parts, the television channel is off. (laughs) Signal blackout. But what has happened to our heroes? Did we just spend this entire part of the earlier scenes showing them as an incredible team? We see them at the bar. They're an incredible team. Did we set them up now just to put them both in deadly danger One final time so they can die together? Oh, boy. The game. The reality. The game is bumper cars? Yeah, the the reality is you could die. The game is... We're here for family vacation. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's go see a friend. The reality is... You're so far behind in a galactic invasion, you have no idea. Mm -hmm. Also, maybe the reality, the game is you read a Star Wars book. 
with characters that you love. And they continue and tell stories forever and ever. We've seen them in movies. We've seen them in 30 books up to this point. That's the game. You read the book and you love the heroes and you have the heroes. Maybe the reality of this scene is telling us you don't get to keep the heroes. Ha ha ha. Elbows and knees and and then no shields and an asteroid dead ahead. Mm hmm. Reality is we might kill the heroes. Find out next week as we cover New Jedi Order, book one, Vector Prime, chapters 13 through 16. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. He's already pulled over. (laughs) Can't pull over any further. For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Jay Plazer. Check us out.